The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external applications, applying until the end of the new order. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences, consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. 
now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they, have, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would, would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Lord God, uh, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand uh, this passage of Scripture which you've preserved for our benefit. Uh, may we understand it. And may it also inform the way we then live as New Testament believers under the New Covenant, trusting in Christ, our great High Priest. Amen. It will not have escaped your attention that we live in an era of incredible technological change. Nothing stands still. There is this relentless drive to improve products uh, to reduce size and to increase functionality. Uh, the message of much advertising is relentless. It says, this is better than what you have, and you need it. No sooner have you unpacked your iPhone 9 from its packaging, and you're being told there's an iPhone 10, which now has three cameras and not two, as your iPhone 9 has. And you realize, the iPhone 10 is better. Well, I've entitled this sermon, Better by Far, 
because that is the message of this New Testament letter, Hebrews. It aptly summarizes its main point. Let me remind you of to whom it was written. It's written to Jewish Christians, and they are being tempted to turn away from Christ. They are receiving some quite and mounting persecution for their faith, and they're being sorely tempted to turn from Christ and to turn back to Judaism, and then life, they think, will get easier. Hence, the message of the letter is clear. Whatever you do, don't renounce Christ. Whatever you do, don't go back, because Christ is better by far, better by far than anything that's preceded him. You see, God's law was at the heart of Old Testament Judaism, but we see that actually God's law was just a shadow pointing to the greater reality of Christ. Chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Christ is far better. Don't go back to the Old Testament law. Don't go back to Old Testament Judaism. Remain faithful to Christ at all costs. Last week, when we started looking at Hebrews, uh, we picked up on this shadow reality connection between two of the Old Testament offices. That was the prophet and the apostle. Uh, and Sorry, prophet, which is also the apostle and the high priest. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1 said this. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Now, if you remember, we were seeing that the term apostle is synonymous with prophet, and there's this parallel being drawn with Moses. Uh, Jesus is the better apostle stroke prophet. He is the better Moses. He is the one who leads God's people through the desert to the promised land of heaven. And we ignore Jesus' words as the prophet apostle at our peril. So that was last week, uh, Jesus as the apostle, as the prophet, the one who brings us God's word. And now this week, we move on to the second one, to Jesus as the high priest. He is the better high priest. And that is the concern of these chapters. Uh, these chapters explore the shadow reality connection between Christ and the Old Testament high priests. And what we're going to see is this. We're going to explore how Jesus' high priestly ministry is far more significant and superior to that of the Old Testament high priests. And the question is this, how is it better by far? Well, uh, time does not allow us to unpack all of the contents of these chapters. Uh, we're going to focus on just two aspects of how Christ is better by far, and they are these. Firstly, uh, Christ brings a better covenant. And secondly, Christ offers a better sacrifice. And then we're going to conclude by thinking and drawing some implications for us today. So firstly then, uh, Christ brings a better covenant. What is the role of a priest? The role of a priest is actually to mediate a covenant. 
to implement it. Their job is to help the covenants to be fulfilled. And therefore, the ministry of a priest is to work within the framework of the covenant of which they are part. Jesus' ministry is superior to the Old Testament priests because he brings something that is new. He is the high priest of a new covenant, a better covenant, a covenant that is better by far. Chapter 8, verse 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. So, there is an old covenant, but with Jesus there is now a new covenant. And the new covenant is based on better promises than the old covenant. What were the promises of the old covenant? And how were they better to the promises of the new covenant? Uh, Before we go any further, it is worth clarifying what is meant here by old covenant. Because as as we've seen in our overview sermon series, uh, there are various covenants in the Old Testament. If remember, there's the covenant through Abraham, uh, the covenant through Moses, uh, the covenant through David. Now when Hebrews talks about the old covenant, it is referring specifically to the covenant given through Moses at Sinai. In other words, it's the Ten Commandments and all its associated laws and institutions. So when it's referring to the old covenant here, it's not referring to the covenants of Abraham and David, for example. Primarily, it's talking about the covenant through Moses. Now, here's the question. What was the promise, therefore, of this covenant, this old covenant given through Moses? And I can summarize the promise offered by the old covenant through Moses in one pithy little sentence. Do this and you will live. Do this, keep the law, and you will live. You will have all of God's blessing. If you keep all of the law all of the time, then you will inherit all of God's blessings. All of those things he promised through the covenant with Abraham. But do you see where the responsibility lies? Do this. The responsibility lies with the people. The finger is pointing at them. But therein is the problem. Because the people consistently proved they could not do this. They couldn't keep the law. The people constantly faltered and failed. They were unable to remain faithful to that old covenant. You see, rather than obtaining the blessings through obedience, they incurred the curses through disobedience. And hence, a new covenant was required. Chapter 8, verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
and it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. So what is this new covenant? And what are the better promises on which it is founded? Chapter 8, verse 10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. And the writer of Hebrews then goes on to effectively quote uh, the promised new covenant from the Old Testament. He quotes Jeremiah 31. Now, if you were with us back in August in our Overview sermon series, we looked at this same promise issued through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36. It's the same promise. You see, the covenant through Moses pointed the finger at the people. The responsibility to keep it was on their shoulders. Do this and you shall live. You will be blessed. And yet, as I now read this promise of a new covenant from the words of Jeremiah 31, look out for the fundamental shift in where the responsibilities now lie under this new covenant. Who is doing the doing? Let's look at it together. Chapter 8 of Hebrews, verse 10 continues, quoting from Jeremiah 31. God says this, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Who is doing the doing? It is now God. And God, in so doing this doing, will address the heart of the problem. Because, you see, sinful hearts were the root cause of Israel's failure to keep the old covenant law. And God is saying he's going to go to the root of the problem. He's going to transform the hearts of his people. He's going to write his law on their hearts. It will no longer be on tablets of stone. And flowing out of that will be all the blessings promised to Abraham. It continues in verse 10. I will be their God and they will be my people. And under this new covenant, each and every believer will enjoy a close, intimate relationship with God. Uh, verse 11 continues. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You see, under the old covenant, the sign on the doorway to the inner temple sanctuary or the tabernacle sanctuary where God's presence resided was not one of welcome. Quite the opposite. It was effectively this. Restricted access. Authorized personnel only. Sinners Lawbreakers, stay away. Restricted access. The authorized personnel were the priests and the high priests. The ordinary people could not go into that inner room where God's presence was. But under the new covenant that Christ brings, that has now all changed. Now Christ, through his atoning death, has brought about a transformation. 
When Christ cries his last on the cross, what happens in the temple? The doorway into that inner room, the curtain, is supernaturally torn in two from top to bottom. It was a symbolic way of conveying the new signage of the new covenants. Come in. The way is open. Now, everyone who believes in Jesus, God says, can know me, can know me personally, can enter into my presence, to that inner sanctuary which is off limits to everyone apart from the high priest once every year. Everyone who trusts in me can now know God the Father personally, from the least to the greatest. How on earth will such intimacy be possible? And the answer comes in verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The intimacy with God is only made possible through forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. Under this new covenant, Jesus as high priest will deal with the problem of sin once and for all time. And in so doing, he will enable his people to have this closeness of fellowship with God and to have be showered in all the blessings held out through the covenant with Abraham. Past sins will be forgiven. Our status with God will be changed under this new covenant will be clothed with the perfect righteousness of Christ. God will regenerate our hearts. He will actually give us an impulse to actually keep his law and the strength to do it. And ultimately beyond this life, we will have all the vestiges of sin removed forever. The new covenant is better by far. It's better than the old covenant because it works. The old covenant was fatally flawed because God's people could not keep it. The new covenant works because Christ has kept it on our behalf. He has done everything that needs to be done. And therefore, under the new covenant, it is good news. God has done everything. We are saved by grace. By grace alone. It's all God's doing. And at last, in this overview sermon series, as we've trekked through the Bible, we finally have the answer. This is how God will reverse the curse of the fall. But there is more to ponder. How does Christ's high priestly ministry make forgiveness of sins possible? How does he do it under this new covenant? Uh, chapter 9, verse 22 points to what is required. It says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, forgiveness is not possible. We know, don't we, sin bars sinners from entering God's presence. 
That was the presenting problem throughout the whole of the era of the Old Covenant. And yet with the greatest twist of unexpected irony, Jesus the High Priest offers the sacrifice of Himself to open up access into God's presence, into the heavenly throne room. Chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood having obtained eternal redemption. Of course, it's Christ's blood shed that brings forgiveness of sins. And of course, it's Christ's blood shed that inaugurates this new covenant. You may remember in our communion service, whenever we have it, we quote Jesus' words uttered to his disciples during his last supper just before he goes to the cross. And what did Jesus say in that last supper? Holding up the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. His bloodshed inaugurates the new covenant. And the shedding of Christ's blood is a ransom payment that settles the sinner's debt accrued under the old covenant. You see, Christ's blood unlocks the bounty of God's blessing under the new covenant. Chapter 9, verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So, that's what Hebrews chapter 8 to 10 says. That's what it teaches us. That's the theology. Let's think now about its application to our lives today. What are the implications of this better covenant and this better sacrifice? Firstly, I want us to think about the privilege of being a believer under the new covenant. If you are a Christian, have you ever stopped to ponder that? At the privileges we enjoy as New Testament believers. Because we live under a better covenant. A covenant that is better by far. Just think for a moment what it must have been like living as a believer under the old covenant. The promise of the old covenant was this. Do this and you shall live. But that was a heavy burden. And that was a hollow promise because they couldn't do it. And in the end, the old covenant had a rather depressing function. Really, it pointed to the people's failure. It pointed to the magnitude of their problem. It pointed to their sinful hearts. The old covenant was like a disappointing school report. Uh, its message was always written large in red ink. 
F-A-I-L. Fail. And at various points in this passage, we just get this little glimpse into the inner world of the Old Testament believers. At various points in this passage in Hebrews, mention is made, didn't you notice, of guilt and a heavy conscience. Uh, Look at chapter 9, verse 9 again. Uh, The gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations, applying until the time of the new order. The issue of guilt and conscience comes up again in chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, uh, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Do you think it would have been a comfortable existence to live as a believer under the old covenant? It'd be a heavy load. Conscience and guilt weighed down all the time. Of course, assuaged temporarily through the sacrifices which you'd give and the priest would give on your behalf. But the guilt returns with a repeated offense. And yet we have the privilege of living under the better covenant because the shed blood of Christ under the new covenant means we don't have to live in guilt. The shed blood of Christ is powerful to cleanse the deepest offense. Guilt says, I did bad. Guilt is tied to sin. What is the cure for guilt? Forgiveness. Forgiveness says your sins are paid for. You can go free from the guilt. And the cross makes forgiveness possible. The cross inaugurates the new covenant. And Christ's blood frees us from the guilt and liberates us to serve God. Chapter 9, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? The blood of Christ cleanses our consciences. If you are carrying guilt this morning as a Christian, It is not necessary. The antidote has been provided. It's in the new covenant. And Jesus has brought this new covenant about. And it's a better covenant, a covenant which is better by far. Forgiveness is on offer. All you have to do is to seek it. All you have to do is to say, 
God, please forgive me. And where possible, where you can put the wrong right with those other human beings you offended to say to them, please forgive me. And the good news is this. When we truly confess and seek forgiveness through Christ, our consciences are cleansed. We are released from the heavy burden of guilt. We take our consciences to the cleaners. That's the power of the gospel. So, firstly then, the privilege of the New Testament believer, the antidote to guilt. Secondly, access to God. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, we are joined with him, and we can now follow him into the throne room of heaven. God the Father is our heavenly Father, and we can know him personally. We don't need any priest or other intermediary apart from Christ, our great high priest. We have the privilege of access into God's presence and intimacy with him, which the average Old Testament believer could never, ever dream of. For them, the signage at the entrance to the inner throne room in the temple and the tabernacle was restricted access. Only the high priest could enter into there and only once a year. And yet under the new covenant, we have access into the throne room of heaven. The new son it says, welcome, come in. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since through the blood of Jesus, we have confidence of entrance into the sanctuary by the new and living way, open for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a sincere heart and in absolute trust with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold unwaveringly to our confession that gives us hope. For he who made the promise is trustworthy. Does that make your hearts sing this morning? Is that not a cause for heartfelt gratitude and worship of Christ? We enter the very presence of God and he opens the way for us. The final consideration in closing is this. We've thought about the privilege we have as New Testament believers. But let's reflect finally on a privilege which is often lost in translation. Uh, tragically, not everyone understands this progression from the old covenant uh, to the new. Uh, not everyone takes delight in the betterness of the new covenant. Uh, many still live as if they were under the old covenant. Now, in, in 2007, uh, a man called A.J. Jacobs published what came to be a New York Times bestseller. I have a picture of the, uh, the cover of it on the screen. Uh, it's called uh, The Year of Living Biblically, uh, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. Uh, Jacobs is actually, he's not a Christian, uh, he's uh, from a secular Jewish background. And uh, he has this to say about his book, and I quote him. 
that the year of living biblically is about my quest to live the ultimate biblical life, to follow every single rule in the Bible as literally as possible. I obey the famous ones, the Ten Commandments. That'd be interesting. Uh, Love thy neighbor, be fruitful and multiply. Not sure what he means by that. Uh, But also the hundreds of oft ignored ones. Do not wear clothes of mixed fibers. Do not shave your beard. Uh, Apparently, uh, A.J. Jacobs even attempts to stone an adulterer and to offer animal sacrifices. Well, do you think he missed the point? If ever there was somebody who needed to listen to our overview Bible sermon series, it's him. Uh, He's totally missed the point, the salvation story arc of the Bible, uh, the redemption trajectory. He's not understood that the old covenant points to the to the new. Uh, all he's done is basically cut and pasted uh, commands from the Old Testament and said, well, here's a code for living. He's totally missed the point. Failure to live by the code points us to our need for forgiveness. It points us to Jesus. That's why it is really sad to hear of churchgoers for whom their Christianity is merely legalism. They don't see the need for the shed blood of Christ. Their Christianity essentially amounts to their best endeavors to keep the rules. It's as if they're still living under the old covenant. And yet Christ calls them to a new covenant and to a release from guilt and to a better way, the only way. So the Jewish believers to whom this letter was originally written, they were tempted to return to the old covenant And yet the old covenant was just the shadow pointing to the greater and the more wonderful reality of Christ. Christ is better by far. Hold on to him at all costs until your dying breath. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the new covenant. The new covenant inaugurated through the blood of Jesus, that precious blood shed on the cross, the blood that is powerful to cleanse every sin, to wash away, to sprinkle our hearts and cleanse them from guilt and to cleanse our consciences. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, which you give us when we put our trust in Christ the Holy Spirit that transforms and regenerates our hearts and that writes your law upon it and then empowers us and gives us the desire to live your way. Help us, we pray, to continue to live a life digging ever deeper on the privileges we have as New Testament believers. Help us not to lose sight of these privileges. Help us to marvel in them ever more deeply and for that to give us energy and joy as we continue on our life's journey, trusting Christ every step of the way. Amen.